happy December 30th to you. Happy December 30th to you. We've got one more day of this year left. Happy December 30th to you, dear loser. Happy December 30th to you, dear loser. Bring it up. Of course, I include you in here with all the rest of us. Oh, you know that this is, now I'm going to do, I'm going to warn you right now, this is uh, by way of, uh, I suppose you might say, a warning and a, uh, and uh, well, it's a little tag. You know, do you know that in England uh, and in certain other countries, as you know, Bob, uh, before certain TV shows, they put up a little sign and they say, this program is recommended for adults only. Correct? Isn't that true? They, I, I have never seen them do this in America, although I presume that they have on occasion. Uh, maybe it's because no programs are recommended for adults. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, for, for the life of me, I have, I have still, I am still trying to find one person, a grown-up type person, who says, you know, it's five minutes to seven, I've just got to split, in just five minutes, Flipper comes on. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't care whether Flipper's in color or not, you can slice him sideways, up and down, he is still a fish. And I'll be doggone if I'm going <laughs> to fall in love with a fish. At least that kind of a fish. However, that's another story. And and you know the the uh, this this uh, problem uh, of of uh, warning people about a certain uh, the reason that I'm I'm doing this tonight is because I'm going to do an un or an atypical shepherd Friday night show. And the reason I'm doing this, I'm warning you, uh, it's not going to be a whoopee show. Uh, not going to be a cutting sardonic delineation of the foibles of our time. It's not, not going to be a show dedicated to a young man struggling through the first budding awakening of sexual awareness. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be a show uh, based on the premise that this is December 30th. Now, do you realize that this means that we have just one more day left in 1966? This is it. And this is the last day. In just a couple of hours, uh, we will be in the in the last day, actually. It will be December 31st, and we will have just 24 hours left of this fast-receding 1966. And uh, because it is the last night, and this, incidentally, is my last show uh, of 1966, of the regular series. In other words, I, I look upon my limelight show is a separate entity you know that's a separate kind of show and uh, the shows that I do Monday through Friday have one kind of thing and my Saturday night show is uh, really just fun night for me and you know I enjoy it tremendously and it's a big nightclub performance we have a great time by the way uh, if you uh, if you really want to hear a whoopee party I would suggest 
that tomorrow night you tune in to uh, WOR because from 10.30, a lot of people don't know that I'm on from 10.30 to midnight on Saturday. Uh, many people think that uh, somehow we go off the air when the news comes on at 11 and uh, they don't hear the rest of the show, which is when it really gets nitty-gritty. You know, we really get down to it. Uh, but uh, we will be at the limelight from 10.30 until midnight tomorrow night, live, swinging, yelling, hollering, sweating, the whole scene. However, tonight, this is the last night of 1966 in our regular weeknight shows. And uh, it's funny uh, for those of you who've uh, listened for some time. You know, radio is a curious medium. And I think it's even different from any other kind of work, uh, whether it be writing, whether it be uh, tap dancing, whether it be working a lathe, whether it be operating a drill press, that the time in radio, you know, radio is a, a curious thing, uh, I mean, physically, that the people who work in this medium uh, rarely even see audiences, you know. Uh, where, where, in fact, it's hard to tell when you're in a radio studio whether it's daytime or nighttime and what season it is, whether it's spring or summer or fall. And you look up at the clock, and that, that big, cold, uh, totally abstract instrument, you know, the clock is an instrument. It's, uh, we like to humanize clocks. If you notice, a lot of clocks are sold with faces on them, <laughs> you know, big grinning smile and that. But actually, uh, underneath it all, it's just an instrument. It's like a speedometer. And it measures something. What, what it measures, nobody quite knows. You know, time is one of the most difficult of all things to define. Uh, is, it is a state of mind. You know, there are, there are certain philosophers who feel that time is completely a creation of man. It's a state of mind. Is, does time exist in nature? Like sand? Like rocks? Like clouds like the sky or is it something that we invented and that's it sounds so, such a basic question and yet I, I'm sure that a lot of people listening are going to say oh what is this not talking about of course time exists well look at I can tell what time it is right now it's uh it's uh 19 minutes past 10 I know what this guy says not no no <laughs> 19 minutes past 10 uh, do rocks know time it is quite true they erode but does that have anything to do with time? Or does it just have to do with wind and water? I don't know. Uh, the, the time concept is, is a man thing. Have you ever thought of it that way, Bob? That uh, it is not easy. Now, let's take, uh, of course, when you go into the fourth dimension, you get into other areas. But if you were to take five minutes of time that you're enjoying immensely, it goes by in a split second in your mind. Five minutes of torture can stretch on for hours. And you're sitting, let's say you're sitting, uh, would you say by, uh, let's say theoretically you're in the dentist chair and you're having something very difficult done and it's extremely painful. And you sit there and boy, I'll tell you, you look up at the ceiling and this guy keeps going back and forth and he keeps opening little cabinets and he keeps bringing out more nut picks. And uh, he keeps uh, taking little pieces of cotton and he keeps squirting more stuff into your veins and he keeps walking back and forth. And when it's all over, you look at your watch and you've been in the chair eight minutes. And it seems like you were there like 17 hours. Well, uh, 
there again, uh, was it really longer? Because it is a state of mind? Or was it just eight minutes, exactly like the same eight minutes that you spend in some wild moment of exaltation with somebody and you're having a great time and eight minutes goes by like a flicker of an eyelash? Was it really the same length? Or is time a product of your mind? Or is it a product of the stars, which a lot of mathematical people will hold? That is another th another theory. Do the stars themselves know time? Okay. Wouldn't it be something if we were to go to another planet and they have no concept of time there? And because they have no concept of time, they live forever? <laughs> <laughs> and so on this on this special night. Now I hope this uh, philosophical stuff is this boring you and Henley? Is it okay? We don't want to bore anybody with the philosophical stuff. That often gets people, you know, saying blow the kazoo or something. Uh, however, uh, there are uh, there uh, the, the concept of 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 a of a year changing and the change from something old into something new is very very interesting. Why did we pick an arbitrary point uh, where the sun and the earth arrive at a certain position and we have decided that that's the starting point of the race, the gigantic race that we're in? I'm not talking about race in the sense of, uh, of uh, nationality and or genetic race. I'm talking about the big race. Do you picture life as some kind of a long uh, distance run? There's a thing called the start and there's a thing called the finish. Or do you picture it as a as a circle, like like a big oval track, uh, a one mile oval track, and you start at the first and you run, and you picture all the other people as running this race with you. Some guys are ahead and some guys are behind. <laughs> Some guys are favored and some guys are long shots. Other guys are selling platers. They're just field horses. And they're running, plugging along there. And then, of course, there's the horses way at the end, and their only function is to catch mud in the eye. All the other horses kick it up <laughs> as they run. Now, do you picture life that way? Now, now that, uh, that means, then, that we have decided on an arbitrary point called the start which could also be the finish. So uh, here we've got, here we're coming up to the new year now, and everyone has a vague feeling that something, it's, it's just, this is it, it's ingrained in us, that something new is beginning in just 24 hours. 1967 is new. And somehow it's changed us. We are new. Or we are whatever it might be, depending on your own individual hang-ups. And do you know that this is an old, old uh, problem with people? And they've written about it. Are you aware that there's a great body of poetry written about New Year's? Well, uh, poetry, you know, the one thing about poets, uh, a poet, if he's a good one, generally a poet will get to the base, the base rock, the base metal of uh whatever man lives with and around and is part of. And he, he deals with this sort of thing. He doesn't deal with the trivial. He deals usually with the basement. Now, many trivial poets will deal with the trivial, and they can be good poets of the trivial. Ogden Nash is a classic example. But then there's others. 
you can write trivial poetry about a great issue, too, which many people have done about New Year's. But there's always that little flirting thing, that little thing running behind it, something new and something old. Listen to this little poem. Our 12 months go round and round, the same months every year, and January starts them off. The first day, icy clear. Arise before the orange dawn, in morning's blue is lost. Arise, enjoy your window panes that glow with crusts of frost. Enjoy the black trees lined with snow, the meadow smooth and white, in last year's haggard countryside that dazzles since the night. Begin this year as though you too were really not the same, like every January 1st, brand new in your old name. Brand new in your old name. Now that has a certain Japanese quality to it. And that was written by a, a poet named Marnie Pomeroy. By the way, one more note. Please don't write to me asking for copies of any of the poetry I read. I am not in the poetry business. And if you want copies of any of these poems, you do just what I did. Go out and look for them. <laughs> and if you can't find them, well, there's an old army expression. It consists of two letters, and the first one is T. Now, speaking of letters and speaking of the second letter, this reminds me, this is WOR in uh, New York, and this uh, is the last, uh, the last program of 1966 on our regular series. And what better than to raise a glass of sparkling brew? To some people, quality is just a word. But for 112 years, quality has been a way of life for the brewers of Miller High Life. Every ingredient used in brewing this beer is always cautiously, carefully selected. Each step in the brewing of Miller High Life is done slowly, patiently, using many extra steps to be absolutely sure every drop is worthy of its reputation as the champagne of bottled beer. This great quality tradition has made Miller High Life world famous and today, millions more are asking for Miller High Life because of its exceptional goodness. Insist on Miller High Life yourself whenever you want the finest in beer. Find out that quality is more than a word. Quality is Miller High Life. Always sparkling, flavorful, distinctive. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee. Yes. Yes. <laughs> He's one of the uh, more oleaginous announcers. Miller High Life, Milwaukee. Uh, well, oh boy, that's a good way to lose an account. Let's see, now we're on the... Uh, <laughs> speaking of accounts, hey, one more thing here I've got. Uh, Jim McAleer and myself are, are both hi-fi bugs, real nuts on it. And uh, we were discussing the KLH-21... And uh, let me tell you this, we're both in radio friends, and we hear a lot about radio equipment and see a lot of radio sets, and there's a lot of, a lot of material arrives at the office all day long. Maybe you're not aware of that, but radio manufacturers are very interested in radio stations. And uh, we both agreed that one of the finest pieces of equipment that either one of us have, uh, have ever seen, uh, as far as a receiver is concerned, is this magnificent new KLH-21. What a beautiful piece of design. And if you've not seen this piece of uh, FM receiving equipment, it's, it's built only to pick up FM. And it has a sound you wouldn't believe. 
It's a tiny thing. It's no larger than, uh, oh, a shoebox. It's less than a foot uh, cubic space. It's sealed. It has a two-year unconditional guarantee. And what a beautiful sound. It's built by KLH, and it's called the KLH-21. It costs $79.95, and believe me, this thing will last you for years and years. I've been using the same KLH Model 8, if you know anything about that. It came out in 1960, every day, like 10 hours a day, and that thing has not stopped once. What a piece of gear. And you can see this down at the Electronic Workshop, 26 West 8th Street, and you can give them a call at Gramercy 30140 all next week, and they're open till 8, and they would be delighted to show it to you. It's the KLH-21. And also, speaking of fine gear, and I'm going to hold the commercials down to somewhat of a minimum tonight, we would like to also recommend that you investigate the Rover 2000TC if you're thinking of a car during the coming year. Believe me, uh, before you invest in a car, and I don't care what kind of a car you're fascinated by and what you're thinking of, before you invest in a car, please investigate the Rover 2000TC. Uh, it may save your life, among other things. It's one of the safest automobiles ever built, and it's been designed with safety in mind. And I mean the integral design. I don't mean little things like plastic seat belts and little padding on the dash. This thing is so, so safety designed that it's designed, it has what they call a diving engine. You know what that means, Bob? That means if you happen to be unfortunate enough to get into a head-on collision, the engine, rather than coming back in your lap, is designed to dive. It goes under the driver and down. And uh, it's that kind of a machine, magnificent piece of gear. Rover 2000 TC, and if you'd like pictures on it, we'll be delighted to send you pictures. Just send them along your name to Rover, W-O-R, New York. Okay? Now... Now, let's get on. You want to you hear another piece of, of funny poetry? And, and I'm going to ask you whether or not you can identify who wrote this. Uh, this is a curious piece of business. Uh, listen to this one. Upon this happy New Year night, a roach crawls up my pot of paste and begs me for a tiny taste. Uh-huh. I eat thy fill, for it is right that while the rest of the earth is glad and bells are ringing wild and free... Thou shouldst not, gentle roachling, be forlorn and gaunt and weak and sad. Isn't that a beautiful little poem? Now, you'd be very surprised to find out who wrote this. This is a newspaper man wrote this, and a very good one. He is more famous for a poem that, that starts out, The little toy soldier was covered with rust. You remember that? Who was that? Eugene Field. Now, here's another one. Old one, lie down. Your journey is done. <laughs> Little New Year will rise with the sun. Now you have come to the foot of the hill. Lay down your old bones, old year, and lie still. Young one, step out. Your journey's begun. Weary New Year, weary old year, makes way for his son. Now you have started to climb up the hill. Put best foot forward, New Year. With a will. That's another one. See the old and the new. Now, no, I, in my opinion, no people have ever written more about time and have ever been more time obsessed. I don't know whether this has been pointed out uh, often, but no people have been more time obsessed than the Japanese. That uh, almost everything they do uh, in the way of the arts 
is based on and centered around the concept of time, the changing seasons. Almost every piece of poetry or ceramic, pottery, tapestry always indicates a season. Are you aware of that? They'll put in one little thing to let you know what time of the year this thing is about. There'll be, for example, a cherry blossom, and you'll know that this is spring. Or there will be a uh, pussy willow just shooting up next to the bird, and you know that it's fall. Or there will be a bare tree standing off in the distance somewhere, and you know that it's winter. And they always bring that concept of time. And they've written, I think tonight I'm going to read you some haiku. They've written some magnificent uh, poetry about the changing seasons and about New Year's and about all the rest of it. Uh, That is the the passage and the movement of time. All right, would you give me a little uh, Japanese koto? Isn't this a great instrument? This is one of the world's most ancient instruments. Goes back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. This is a Japanese koto, K-O-T-O, being played by one of the great Japanese masters. Listen to that. Listen to the intricacy of that. The strange little sad poetic nuances. Oh, my very bone ends made contact with the icy quilts of deep late December. Doesn't that describe getting into bed on a cold December night? The end of the year. Listen to this. This is written by Isa, who was known as the the poet of poverty. And he wrote back in the 17th century. This is back into the 17th century this one came from. Poor thin crescent, shivering and twisted high in the bitter dark. Isa. Here's one for you. So lonely, lovely, the exquisite pure white fan of the girl I lost. That's considered New Year's poetry. In winter moonlight, a clear look at my old hut, dilapidated. (laughs) That's Issa. Here's one written by the Greek classical poets. There were two classical poets that uh, were almost like the uh, Beethoven and the Mozart of the world of the classical haiku. And they were 17th century poets. Here's Boussin. Boussin, who is generally considered more the uh, Beethoven of the great classic poet. Black calligraphy of geese, pale printed foothills, for a seal, full moon. He's a little complex, isn't he? And here's Basho. Basho is the Mozart of that world. He's, the, he's considered the greatest of all the masters. He wrote right about in the middle of the 17th century. In my dark winter, lying ill, at last I ask, how fair is my neighbor? Year-end poetry. 
The old dog lies intent, listening. Does he overhear the burrowing moles? That's a beautiful one. Isa. He loved animals, by the way. A thousand rooftops, a thousand market voices, winter morning mist. It's a beautiful image. That's Busan again. And here's Shiki. Shiki was much later. Uh, Shiki wrote just about the time of the, well, the late 18th, the late 19th century, just before our century. First snow last night, there across the morning, sudden mountain white. Shiki. Here's one. Basho. When the water pot burst that silent night with cold, my eyes split open. Ooh, that's a wild one. Winter having touched these fields, the very tom tits perch on the scarecrow. Ah, that has secret, sullen meanings. And by the way, every one of these poems are allegorical. I don't have to explain that to you, I suppose, that they're referring more to people than they are referring to birds and cranes and geese and moons. Winter having touched these fields, the very tom tits perch on the scarecrow. Yeah, when winter comes, people huddle together. When trouble arrives, they'll even sit right on the very shoulder of the scarecrow. Cold winter rainfall, mingling all their gleaming horns, oxen at the fence. That's a beautiful picture. Some some haiku poets just paint a lovely picture of winter, and that's all. They really don't have any any subversive or or ulterior motive. They just paint a picture with words. See the see the red berries fallen like little footprints in the garden snow. Shiki. Winter evening snow, the uncompleted bridge. Is all an arch of whiteness. That's a beautiful image. And by the way, that image survives since the middle of the 17th century. That was Basho. Moonlit snow fields. Here, the bloodied samurai cast their noble lives. Here's one by Shiki, midnight wanderer, walking through the snowy street, echoing dog bark. As to icicles, I often wonder why they grow, some long, some short. <laughs> That's an odd one. In winter, moonlight fishnet stakes, casting shifting uneven shadows. You see how uh, each, incidentally, each poem, not only uh, a classical haiku, not only has a context as to season. It also relates directly to nature. This is part of the classical form. Colder far than snow, winter moonlight, echoing on my whitened hair. Wow, that's Joso. So close, so vast, rattling winter hailstones on my umbrella hat. Basho. Here's an odd one. Long walking lantern. Disappeared into some house, desolate white hills. That was Shiki. And by the way, each one of these poets、uh, relate to 
their own individual lives. You have to know something about their lives to get the full impact of what they're saying. Shiki was was uh, a lifelong invalid and wrote almost all the poetry that survives from Shiki lying in bed and uh, was always haunted by pain and uh, looking at long distant things and never being part of it. You notice that long walking lantern disappeared into some house? Just some house, it's a beautiful word to use, disappeared into some house. Desolate winter hills. Here's uh, Basho again. Staring delighted, even at walking horses in new morning snow. Basho, walking horses in new morning snow. A beautiful image that is. Here's Gara. Blinding wild snow blows, whirls, and drifts about me in this world alone. Well, there's a life allegorical comment. I repeat, for those of you who like to believe that we're all together somehow, blinding, whirling, winding, wild snow blows, whirls, and drifts about me in this world alone. Oh, one more note. If, uh, if you're not familiar with uh, Kotel, the classical form requires just 17 syllables. That uh, that's all that uh, can be used to fill the classical definition of haiku poetry. Here's another one. In that cold darkness, my horse stumbled suddenly, just outside the house. It's a strange. Look at that stray cat, sleeping, snug under the eaves in the whistling snow. In my New Year heart, I felt no fury, even at these tramplers of snow. <laughs> that is Yayu, coffin and mourners, passed me, walking down the street, midnight at New Year's. That's Shiki. Shiki, by the way, uh, as I said, was a was an invalid and was continually obsessed with death. And you'll find a lot of Shiki's poetry built around that that uh, that strange specter. To celebrate New Year's, we feast newly opened eyes on snowy Fijiyama. That's a lovely picture. Uh, here's here's a comment about the year. The passing year, suddenly you light, and as suddenly go dark, fellow firefly. It's a beautiful piece. Are you enjoying these? These are strange, strange pieces of, of uh, thoughts that just come sliding out of the centuries about past and gone. The year-end party. Here's a great little one. I love this one. The year-end party. I am even envious of scolded children. <laughs> That's Isa. And uh, again, Isa has to be explained. He always wrote about children, uh, primarily because Isa, being uh, a man of great poverty, was an orphan all of his life. And uh, he gathered around him near the end of his life large numbers of children who he adopted. 
And uh, he constantly wrote and loved children. And insects. He wrote beautiful things about insects. Here's another New Year's poem by Shiki. I gave the greetings of the bright new year as though I held a plum branch. Shiki. On jolly New Year's Day, my last year's bills drop in to pay their compliments. <laughs> now that, that, uh, that has a fantastically contemporary ring, and yet you know that that was written by an anonymous Japanese around the beginning of the 18th century. Nobody knows why uh, or who he was. It's just an anonymous poem. Oh, on jolly New Year's Day, my last year's bills drop in to pay their compliments. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I, I think one of the reasons why I enjoy reading these is that it gives you a sense of continuity with all people everywhere, you know? Time, the people that lived before, the people that will live after us. And to know that everybody has, vaguely deep down inside, the same uh, the same odd and transitory emotions about light and darkness and about the moon and about the water and about trees against the sky and about wind blowing across icy streets. Roaring winter storm rushing to its utter end. Ever sounding sea. Boy, there's one for you. Look at the candle. What a hungry wind it is, hunting in the snow. Uh -huh. If there were fragrance, these heavy snowflakes settling, lilies on the rocks. That's a beautiful picture, to picture snowflakes as lilies settling on the rocks. If only they had perfume. That was Basho. Ah, I intended never, never to grow old. Listen, New Year's bell. That's uh, Jokan. Snow-swallowed valley, only the winding river. Black, fluent, brushstroke. What a picture of a black river. Have you ever seen a, a rushing dark river in the middle of winter? What a beautiful description of it. Black, fluent, brushstroke. Ah. Eleven brave knights canter through the whirling snow. Not one bends his neck. There's an, there's an attitude towards you, towards life. Going snow viewing, one by one, walkers vanish. Whitely falling veils. Snow viewing. Yes, come in, I cried. But out of the snow hung gate, knocking still went on. I repeat, this sounds like right out of Harold Pinter, doesn't it? Yes, come in, I cried. But out at the snow-hung gate, knocking still went on. What was it? Was it time? Was it something bigger than time? Yes, come in, I cried. But out of the snow-hung gate, the knocking still went on. Ah, that was written in 1684. 
See, surviving sons visit the ancestral grave, bearded with bent canes. Basho. Uh-huh. Do you like these? Do you want to hear some more? Just little pieces of... Uh, no oil to read by. I'm off to bed. But ah, my moonlit pillow. Basho. That took a beautiful twist. You see, he's a poor man, but he finds beauty in the moonlight striking his pillow. That in itself is enough. Descending seaward, far-off mountain waterfall. Winter nights are still. That's a lovely one. All heaven and earth, flowered white, obliterate. Snow, unceasing snow. These are winter poems. When you went away, I thought how long the road would be. Look, weary willows. Busan. Here's one. Cold first rain. Poor monkey. You too could use a little woven cape. <laughs> that's that's Basho. Cold winter shower. See all the people running across Seta Bridge. Josso. Winter rain deepens. Lichened letters on the grave. And my old sadness. Yeah. Gee, there's one here that I've got to find. Hold it. Hold it a minute there. Hold it there. Just a minute there. There's one that I've got to find. Doggone it. I'll find it here. Let me look through. Uh-huh. It's a great one here. Just just don't run away. Don't run away. There's a... There's a you know, I think it's in this one. There's a terrific uh, piece of haiku about... Um, Oh, it's it's uh, it's about a cat. Ah, here it is. Bring, bring, bring me a little jazzy uh, koto music there. Just a little jazzy koto music here. Listen to this one. Oh, sorry, Tomcat. Bigger, blacker nights of love have knocked you out. What a send that off to Hugh Hefner. <laughs> oh, sorry, Tomcat. Bigger, blacker nights of love have knocked you out. <laughs> That's uh, written by Shiko. Again, uh, here's uh, I like I like the uh, here's 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 one of my absolute favorites. I don't know why I like this one. It's just a peculiar little uh, piece of poetry written a couple of hundred years ago by Isa. He happens to be my favorite. I know that's corny to like. Now this is really this is genuine. Uh, one-upmanship, to have a favorite haiku poet, you know, <laughs> and then to apologize for your haiku poet, you know, to say, uh, I must apologize, but my favorite uh, uh, haiku master was Isa. Of course, I know that it should be uh, Basho, but uh, I happen to dig. I know it's silly, but <laughs> uh, listen to this one. I must turn over. Hear that? I repeat the first line so that you get the import. I must turn over. Beware of local earthquake, bedfellow cricket. <laughs> I don't know. Some of that, that peculiar humor that comes through. Now, there's, there's the attitude 
that somehow I enjoy more than any other attitude, and that is that we're all in it together. Whether we're crickets, whether we're frogs, whether we're toads, whether we're black, whether we're white, whether we're green, whether we're purple, whether we're Chinese, whether we're what, we're all in it together. I must turn over. Beware of local earthquakes, bedfellow cricket. That's Isa. Oh. Ah. Fireworks ended and spectators gone away. Ah, how still and dark. Here's here's a lovely one. This is a, this is another winter one. The the Japanese place a special connotation on the cricket. As you know, the cricket is considered good luck. And even many people in America believe that if you hear a cricket in the house, that is a good sign. And there are other people who feel that if you hear a certain type of cricket in the house, that is an evil omen. But in any event, the cricket always has a special connotation. A single cricket chirps, 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 and is still. My candle sinks and dies. What a peculiar one that was! That is、uh, another anonymous poet, and、uh, that was written、uh, somewhere in the 18th century. Now let's see. I can find another one here that、uh, that you might enjoy. Are you enjoying these, Lee?、Uh, I I uh, I uh, I somehow、uh, once in a while uh, I I uh, some of my favorite books are these little tiny、uh, books by Pauper Press and.、Uh, Uh, just the little things, you know. They call the Pauper Press. You know, you buy them for a buck, and they're little collections of Japanese haiku. And、uh, somehow these are, are、uh, always remain among my favorite books. And they make great gifts for those of you who are looking for a little dollar gift. And I have no commercial for them, but I just want to tell you they make great gifts. And they have a couple of them. Here's one called the Four Seasons that ranges all the way from spring, summer, winter, and fall. And、uh, Here, here's、uh, here's another typical fall one,、uh, winter one rather, that、uh, comes out of that particular book. Listen to this one: cold winter rainfall, mingling all their gleaming horns, oxen at the fence. Shh, hey, yeah, a thousand rooftops, a thousand market voices, winter morning mist. And、uh, here's the final one, I think. That's a strange little one, little orphan girl. Eating a lonely dinner in winter twilight—that's a strange, odd, bitter, sad little one. Listen to this one by Shiki. This is a picture of winter. When I raised my head, there was my rigid body lying bitter cold. That's a strange one. Over wintry fields, bold sparrow companies fly, scarecrow to scarecrow. Bathtub firewood. Thanks for this final service, faithful old scarecrow. They're burning up the scarecrow to heat the bathtub. Yep. Thanks for this final service. Ah, my very bone ends made contact with the icy quilts of deep December, and so happy December thirtieth, gang. And we'll see you tomorrow night, and we're going to have our own particular American style of celebrating the passing of 1966. And the beginning of 1967. We'll be at the limelight, and if you can't make the scene down there, have yourself a fantastic New Year. And、uh, be careful.、Uh, watch out for the soup. 
uh, drive carefully, don't uh, do anything rash, and if you have to do something rash, why don't you tune in to the old Limelight Show tomorrow night from 10.30 to midnight. We'll be on. Hang in there, gang.